Hello Dermal friends, my name is Beth and I'm your host for Let's Talk Dermal. I'm a fourth year dermal science student at Victoria University. Whether you are a beauty or dermal therapist, or maybe you're interested in learning more about skin, join me on a journey to learn more about something we see every day, pigmentation. From hours of lectures, study and research, I've compiled all the information you'd need in order to treat and manage various pigmentation conditions within the scope of a dermal clinician. I've taken the hard work out of the equation for you, so join me while we break down the science together to enhance and refresh your knowledge that you can use to leverage your skills. this episode, we are going to be talking about melasma, a pigmentation condition we see often and can be tricky to treat. First, we'll go through the etiology and pathophysiology of the condition, then dive into ways to treat and manage it using skincare and dermal treatments. So join me in learning more about melasma. Let's talk dermal. Melasma is a common condition that I'm sure many of you have seen or have experienced before. Did you know that women are affected with melasma nine times more than men? So what is melasma? Well, melasma is an acquired hyperpigmentation condition of sun-exposed areas. It presents as symmetrical hyperpigmented macules that are distributed on the face, typically seen along the cheeks, forehead, upper lip and chin. It can also develop in other sun-exposed areas such as the chest and upper arms, although this is less common. Melasma lesions have two basic patterns, an epidermal form and a dermal form. It can also present as a mixture of both. Epidermal melasma will have a defined border, is dark brown, and features melanin deposited in the basal and suprabasal layers of the epidermis, with heavily pigmented and highly dendritic melanocytes throughout. Dermal presenting melasma has an ill-defined border, is light brown to blue-grey, and has a less visibly pigmented epidermis. Typically, mixed melasma is the most common type, with a mixture of light, dark brown, and blue-grey colours, seen with mixed patterns, observed with a woods lamp and dermatoscope. There are multiple etiologic factors that result in melasma. These include genetic influences, hormones and hormonal therapies, ultraviolet radiation, pregnancy, cosmetics, anti-seizure medications and phototoxic drugs. It has been found that in melasma skin, Melanocytes have more dendrites, mitochondria, Golgi, and rough endoplasmic reticulum. This suggests that they are more biologically active than their counterparts in normal skin. The pathology of melasma extends beyond melanocytes. Gene regulation abnormalities, neovascularization, disruption of the basement membrane, and the abnormal interaction of melanocytes and mast cells makes for a complex pathogenesis. 
Due to this complexity, melasma is difficult to treat and is very likely to recur post-treatment. Therefore, we can only do what we can in order to manage melasma. Although complete clearance of the condition can in most cases prove difficult. Don't let this deter you. Through correct management, the appearance of melasma can be significantly reduced. So let's go into more of an overview of the pathophysiology of melasma. It's found that exposure to UV radiation leads to an upregulation of melanocyte-stimulating hormone receptors. This is abbreviated as MSH. These are also known as melanocortin-1 receptors, and this is abbreviated as MC1R. This upregulation of MC1R caused by UV exposure allows for greater binding of the hormones and therefore more melanin is produced. In response to UV, propiomelanocortin is divided to produce the peptides amelanocyte-stimulating hormone and adrenocorticotropic hormone. When these peptides bind to and activate MC1R, they increase the levels of protein kinase A, which phosphorylates the CAMP response element. This CAMP response element is a transcription factor for microthalmia-associated transcription factor, which is a key regulator in the pathway of melanin synthesis. The microthalmia-associated transcription factor controls the expression of tyrosinase, which, as we already know, is the enzyme that is the catalyst in melanogenesis. Okay, so I know that is a lot to take in, so let's unpack that and summarize it so it's easier to remember. All you need to remember is that sun exposure is a huge exacerbating factor of melasma. UV exposure upregulates melanocyte-stimulating cytokines, interleukin-1, endothelin-1, AMSH, and adrenocorticotropic hormone from keratinocytes. So, in summary, UV exposure upregulates various melanocyte-stimulating cytokines, hormones, and other factors which all contribute to the upregulation of melanocyte proliferation and melanogenesis. It has been found that those with melasma have high levels of solar elastoses in affected skin. Chronic sun exposure leads to solar elastoses, which is the accumulation of abnormal elastic tissue in the dermis. Melasma skin tends to have more fragmented elastic fibres that are curled and thicker compared to normal skin. Abnormalities in the basement membrane of melasma skins have also been found. It also plays a key role in the pathology of the condition. UV damage activates matrix metalloproteinases 2 and matrix metalloproteinases 9, which degrades type 4 and type 6 collagen in the basement membrane. The damage of this basement membrane allows the movement of melanocytes and melanin granules to drop down into the dermis. Dermal pigment is a lot harder to treat as it's no longer being proliferated up and off the epidermis. Care needs to be taken when trauma is induced by lasers or other therapies, as it can further aggravate the basement membrane, which can lead to melasma becoming worse. 
It has been found that mast cells play a role in the pathogenesis of the condition, as melasma skin has a higher number of mast cells compared to unaffected skins. A downstream effect occurs when melasma-prone skin is exposed to UV as it triggers mast cells to release histamine. Histamine binds at the H2 receptor, which activates the tyrosinase pathway inducing melanogenesis. Mast cells are also able to induce hypervascularization. They do this by secreting proteins such as transforming growth factor B, a vascular endothelial growth factor, and fibroblast growth factor 2. These angiogenic factors increase the density, size, and dilation of vessels in affected skin. As most of you would probably already know, melasma has a hormonal influence. Estrogen has been shown to play a role in the pathogenesis of the condition, Studies have shown there are increased estrogen receptors in the dermis and increased progesterone receptors in the epidermis of melasma lesions. Estrogens are capable of stimulating melanogenesis by the binding of estrogen to its receptors on melanocytes and keratinocytes, which can activate tyrosinase and MITF pathways to induce melanin production. Okay, so how can we treat melasma? Well, the treatment of melasma requires three things. First is treating the underlying condition. Second, reducing ongoing pigment production. And third, removing pigment that is already present. Your first line of therapy to treat melasma is to control the risk factors. To control the risk factors is by using SPF. Sun protection is the most important step in treating melasma. The second risk factor to control is to discontinue any photosensitizing medication or hormone treatment only where possible. Using triple combination methods is another line of therapy to treat melasma. Various topical agents are able to act on different stages of melanogenesis, thereby combining agents provides a better corrective effect. An example of using a combination method would be using hydroquinone with an AHA like glycolic acid, azalic acid or kojic acid. Current evidence has suggested that sun avoidance Use of an SPF and applying triple combination methods is the most effective first-line treatment for melasma. Second-line therapy for melasma would be combining first-line treatments with a series of in-clinic chemical pills. Third-line of therapy would be combining first-line treatments with non-ablative FP using a 1927 nm or a non-ablative FP using a 1440 nanometer or a 1540 nanometer or a 1550 nanometer or fractional RF. Fourth line therapies include combining first line treatments with Q-switched lasers. There are various skincare products that are able to assist in treating and managing melasma. A few of these include hydroquinone, azelic acid, kojic acid, retinoids, topical steroids, glycolic acid, arbutin, ascorbic acid, niacinamide, licorice derivatives, 
and tranexamic acid. You'd want to ensure you are using a combination of skincare, which includes tyrosinase inhibitors, pigment regulating ingredients and peeling agents, and we also can't forget the use of a broad spectrum SPF, as this is crucial to avoid pigmentation. For further information on some of these ingredients, check out episode 2. There are various in-clinic dermal treatments that can help manage and treat melasma. Each melasma presenting skin will need a different approach, and this is where we as dermal clinicians come in to formulate a bespoke plan that will best suit your skin, your budget, and your desired outcome. As we mentioned earlier, second-line therapy using first-line treatments with a series of chemical peels is able to help manage melasma. Chemical peels are able to manage the pigmentation of melasma as it induces a chemoexfoliative and keratolytic action in the skin. Due to this increase in desquamation, it is able to help disperse epidermal melanin and encourage it to be brought up and off the epidermis. As mentioned earlier in treating melasma, third-line therapy treatments combine first-line treatments with non-ablative FP using a 1927 nanometer, non-ablative FP using a 1440 nanometer or a 1540 or a 1550 nanometer, and also fractional RF. Fourth-line therapy treatments combine first-line treatments with Q-switched lasers. These lasers include Q-switched Ruby using a 694 nanometer, Q-switched Picosecond Alexandrite using a 755 nanometer, and a Q-switched ND YAG using a 1064 nanometer. So that's it for this episode. Thank you for joining me for episode 3 of Let's Talk Dermal. I hope you're excited to learn more about pigmentation. I'll see you in the next episode.